barbell training is not just about the muscles. And I can't stand when I even hate saying that because it's about tissues. It's about the tendons, the ligaments. It's about the neurological changes, the metabolic change. It's, it's about so many more things than just muscle. And I think, I think once I realized that, I realized that it was a lot more than just moving load. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice-a-week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Wits and Weights community, welcome to another episode of the Wits and Weights podcast. Today, I am sitting down with my friend, fellow lifter, and client, Tony Perry. We first met in Annie Baker's Barbell Club, where we soon realized our unique personalities complemented and pushed each other to new heights of strength, health, and physique. He would constantly tell me how weak I was, triggering the deeply competitive nature of me to keep improving my lifts, and I would shake my head at his revulsion to carbs, to the point where eventually we both realized each of us was right. What we have in common is a love for the process and self-improvement, a curiosity for learning about ourselves as individuals, and in particular, men getting older who want to be strong and capable for the rest of our lives. When he finally saw the light and realized he wanted to learn more about nutrition to gain control over his body fat and health, we worked together on what turned out to be a mini cut for six weeks, where he lost 15 pounds of fat, four inches in his waist size, and 8% body fat, which is a huge improvement in body composition and physique. His blood pressure, resting heart rate even came down. He increased his carbs, maintained most of his strength during the cut. Most importantly, Tony was extremely curious throughout the process, always asking great questions as we discovered his individual body's response along the way so we can make better adjustments. In this episode, we'll discuss his transformative journey, the intricacies of nutrition and barbell training, and the mental hurdles along the way. Tony's insights, which at this point are at the core of his being, could radically change your perspective and approach to fitness, nutrition, and health. A bit about Tony. Tony has been active all his life, playing different sports, including racquetball, tennis, mountain biking, road biking, and running. In his 30s, he did a few years of calisthenics, where he competed at obstacle course races before realizing that functional bodyweight training, occasional competitions, provided diminishing returns and very little carryover to regular life. Once he began barbell training in his late 30s, it became a central mode of training due to its incredible carryover and longevity benefits. Tony packed on muscle and some fat and learned that his ability to be strong is dependent on his ability to recover, both of which are dependent on the quality of his nutrition and sleep. Since barbell training is a mental activity expressed physically, the challenge to continually drive progress has boosted his confidence, making him a better spouse, father, and business operator. Tony, my brother, welcome to the big time. Philip, how we doing? How's it going, man? You, you had to sit there and take it, but you know that is the story. <laughs> not bad, you weak bastard. That's but, right. Uh, not bad. Not bad. Get, get, getting good. stronger every good. day. You know, we're trying. You we're are. Trying. You, I, you do impress me. Hey, man, we impress each other. So I hate to compliment you. you yeah, you I know, I know. Me. It just rankles you, I know. But you do, so. but you do impress me. So, yeah. <laughs> so Tony and I have, have a good sense of humor, which I really appreciate because, you know, there's a lot of just, I'm not going to use the word, but they are out in the world that just don't, <laughs> don't have that. And uh, we try to keep it light. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah. So, so I want to start with the personal side um, before we dive into the specific experience here with nutrition. You know, I mentioned in the intro how your interests have evolved over over yeah. over about a decade plus, right? You used to mm-hmm. do functional training, the OCRs, and you trade differently today. So tell us about that transition in a bit more detail. I did the uh, I did the OCRs um, after I did calisthenics because um, it was a lot of fun. Naturally, I'm pretty athletic, so I did very well in that form of training. But the biggest downfall with that, uh, I realized, was it was external validation. I would go to the gym and I would change up the workout every single day and I would do all sorts of different stuff. And people would say, oh, that's cool or ah, this and that. And um, I did improve at certain things. Um, I did great at the OCRs. But you mentioned my my perspective evolved and it was really based in realizing that what I was doing, A, was only fun in the moment and B, I did it because I liked the audience. And so there was no satisfaction. The the diminishing returns added up really quickly for me. So there was a hole. There was a, there was a, a, a really big fitness hole in my life and I didn't really know what that was. So that is, that's so really two good things there, right? One, the idea that you can have fun, but at the end of the day, it's not really fun because it's this instant gratification type of fun. Like that's exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, kind of mm-hmm. like you know, I talk about people say, "Well, isn't it hard to do this or that?" Like, well, in the moment, it's hard, but long term, it's fun. Here, you're talking about well, in the moment, yeah. it's fun, yeah. but long term, what are you getting yeah. out of it? Right. I trained. A, I did a lot of running for my training, and that's one of the reasons I was so successful in my OCRs. I was always top five. I trained as a uh, running mostly. I would do six miles, seven, eight miles. I did a 13 mile, you know, at, at, I think it was an eight minute mile, maybe seven, 30 minute mile. But, um, that was probably the hardest I worked at that time. But, um, after I, after I got to a certain point in running again, there was a, there was a void in me. I'm like, I don't want to just run and I don't want to flip around. I don't want to work toward one handed yeah. pull ups. So, um, there was just a void that was not filled. All right. So you've got that, this void, this emotional void, um, not mm-hmm. necessarily enjoying your training. What was the internal switch or the revelation that led you to embrace barbell the training object, specifically? The objectivity. Well, we all, I'm going to say a general statement. When we strength train long-term, we like we do it for the durability. It makes us stronger. We feel more durable. We feel better. All that. I like the objectivity of barbell training. Once I started the NLP, um, I was hooked because I had data on the improvement or the regression, right? Now, I recorded myself every single, every set, probably to a fault because I overthought it. But I can see, again, I had data. I could see what I was doing because in my head, I'm like, oh, I just squatted this, right? And I think I sent you a video a while ago of my squat, like in 2017. (laughs) And I look at the video and it was terrible, really. Not depth, my foot. I, I wasn't over. Uh, I wasn't over my midfoot. Um, wasn't bracing right. Um, so, from the data point, a barbell training offered me objective data for improvement, and I really latched onto that because before that point, again, it was very immediate gratification. It was subjective. It was what I wanted to do that day, and it didn't work. So, barbell training really the, the, it produced the data, no matter how I felt when I walked into the gym, no matter. Um, you know, when I walked in or when I walked out, I looked at the paper and I'm like, okay, this is, this is the progression or the regression. And that was that void that was filled. Mm. It was showing me, okay, this is, this is actual data of what you're doing. 
right? I don't do the workout of the day thing. Yeah. I don't do the, the subjectivity of, uh, I feel like doing this, that doesn't work for me. And that was, that was the switch. You asked about the switch. That was the switch. Right? Yeah, I can relate to that, Tony, because I, I mean, I, we probably had very similar experiences where you almost dread the workout of the day, but knowing that you just added five pounds and did it again and again, now you're exactly. like, oh, I want to go in there so if I could keep that moving. You know? Added a pound, yep. added a rep, added a set. I shortened the rest times. Yeah. I switched up these two exercises. And even though, you know, the first exercise was 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 second last week, I, I maintained the load, right? There's all these different ways that you can progress. Um, and that was really key for me because I had Perfect. evidence. It was actual objective evidence of progress. Yeah, I love right? it. You know how much I love data and talk about it all the time. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. conflate data with obsession. Whereas in reality, when they start tracking data, they realize it it sort of liberates the uncertainty, Mm -hmm. liberates you from the uncertainty, the ambiguity. And you talk about objectivity. It's the microcosm of that is a single squat or a single rep. Um, Mm -hmm. And I haven't talked about that in a while. So I'm glad you brought that up. The idea that even when we do a squat, our form is done in a way to ensure objectivity from rep to rep, right? So even down to that microcosm, which you won't get from, I don't know, box jumps or something <laughs> no um, no i mean even with that this is again why i record myself to ensure that that consistency because say you go from 100 pounds one week to 105 to 110 but you're inching up 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 okay you have evidence that you're not progressing you're reducing the load the, the, mm-hmm. that that stress stimulus is going down mm-hmm. so you got to maintain all the same parameters and then pro- progress, which is why I'm, I'm a big fan of recording. I mean, yeah, different recording. angles, yeah. Look, look at them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a good point. It's not just, are you progressing, but are you regressing? And then you can decide what's causing that. Um, you could tell yourself so much in your, you could, you could convince yourself of so much. Record one set. Look at yourself. Look at your hips. Now go from this angle. The bar's traveling forward. You may not, th- you may, you may think my squat is great. And then you look at his side view, the bar's traveling forward. And it's like, yeah, to- totally it agree. Talk- I mean, if, if you're listening to this, do that like mm-hmm. in your next workout, literally record yourself and be your own worst critic and then feel free to share it with others who might be able to give you That's feedback. exactly yeah. the point. Prove yourself yeah. wrong. I look for it. I look yeah. for it. And it, sometimes it, it guts me because I'm feeling great about a lift and I'm like, I have a little bit of doubt and I'm like, you got to record yourself from this angle. Look for this one thing. Even yeah. though it feels good, you feel like everything's working well, look at it because reality is going to tell you yeah. Reality is going to tell you whether or not it actually, you just got to listen. Yeah. Now, did this, did this newfound love for the process and objectivity and data, did it have the reverse effect on you as well of translating into your philosophy or approach to life in general? Like, you know, yeah. we can call it discipline, but whatever word you want to use. Yeah. 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 Tell us I about mean, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know me at this point a little better than, than many people, okay. but it, it barbell training, the, um, the, the, the not let giving yourself an out in barbell mm-hmm. training and being very aggressive and, and looking for the um, ugly things and doing the hard work, the grind, the grind that fit, that fit me. Mm-hmm. It really fit my personality. So from there, that was the, that was the athletic void that was filled and I could be a critical bastard with myself. And I'm, I'm, a, I mean, that's why I don't mind being a critical bastard with other people because guess what? I am that with me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so it's like, I will. I don't shield myself from any ugly critique. I will look for it and be, you know, and, and look for those flaws. Because once you find those flaws, I was just explaining this to my son this morning. When you're solving a problem, 
The hardest part is finding the problem. Once you identify the problem, then you can solve it. Yeah. Most of your work is going to be doing looking and searching for what the problem is. And then you can say, okay, this is the problem. And this is how we problem solve it. I do that with training all the time. Again, it's a mental activity expressed physically. I, I'm very mental about it. It is not a, it's not a physical or emotional thing. It's how can I problem solve these things? Look for the flaw. Once I find the flaw, I can fix it. And we just talked about it after I was done with my cut. My squat was terrible. And I figured out it was my leverages that were way yeah. And I've never been in that position before. So I had to think about it. And once I figured that out, other things came together. It feels fantastic. Yeah. And I'm already back to where I started. I think that's a great that. principle-based approach because you said you got to do a brand new experience and a new problem yeah. that you'd never encountered before. But rather than think, okay, there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with the process, it was there's a new problem that just needs a solution, right? It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which, which applies to yeah, everything, yeah. About nutrition and everything else. So, um, Absolutely. You, yeah. You, I don't assume yeah. I know the answer. I'm like, what's the, what, what is it? And that's why I, I will ask people at the gym. I'm very respectful about it. You know, I'll ask people, I'll, I'll seek out your advice. Yep. What's your perspective on this? What am I not seeing? Just so I can see it and then boom, yeah. solve it, move forward. That's it. There's yeah. no ego in there. There's no, no ego it's curiosity. It. It's pure curiosity, which is. Yeah. Awesome. There you go. Yeah. Curiosity. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. So. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it being a grind, and I know you weren't necessarily saying that in a in a negative. You were just more of a momentum and persistence perspective. But just explain that to people who may be hesitant about even getting into barbell training. They could think it's this really hard thing. It's it's hard to get around the fact that barbell training is hard. I embrace the fact that it's hard, and I actually am one of the people who really like that grind—the mm-hmm. hard, hard work. I like to be in the trenches. I don't like to be, I don't like to have too much of a tailwind. I'd like to be working against something because again, when you're working against something, that's what resists your will. And that's what allows your will to exert itself even harder. When things are not that hard, we're not going to work as hard to overcome them. So I always, I like to have the challenge. I like to grind. Um, uh, sometimes it's, it's more fun than others, but, um, I, it's, it's hard to translate it because a lot of this is my own personality, my own take on it. And some of it is just the fact that barbell training is progressive. Barbell training is going to be hard. And I realize not everybody is going to progressively overload. I see it in the gym all the time, right? So if someone is interested, I have to qualify this. If someone is interested in getting stronger, fitter, more durable, resilient. You have to do progressive overload and you have to do the grind. You have to search and embrace those last two, three reps of that of that triple, the fourth, fifth reps of the triple. You have to embrace that to get the benefit. Yeah. Right. You may not like it. You may not go toward it like me, but you have to do that if you want to progress with barbell training. Gotcha. I just happen to be one of those psychos who embraces that you got to get the mechanical tension right we had a whole conversation about that this week but let's 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 just put one more lens on it because is it harder to do that or is it harder Mm -hmm. to not progress and go into the gym over and over and over again and not progress like what are your thoughts the latter yeah okay so i just want to be clear for people like it's different types of hard there's the hard that helps you grow and feel fulfilled and there's the hard that's just your stuff you're right yeah and that's a good question you just asked because during my cut it was very hard for me to switch my training lens from grind to 
just hold on to whatever muscle you can because the priority was to maintain the deficit. The priority is not to gain mass or set PRs. So I had to change my perspective to just do what you can. Mm-hmm. That's not me. Yeah, I had to yeah. accept it's not me at all. I had to just, uh, I, I couldn't stand it, but I'm like, this is the right thing for the long term. Yeah, it is It is frustrating. And I know you've, you've experimented with it and talked to me this week about the next time you do it, maybe you'll try a different mode of training that still holds muscle, but maybe gives you a little more of that uh, enjoyment of the of the training itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just again, you uh, doing more of the um, embracing more mechanical tension through yeah. uh, the rep ranges that we talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's dive into let's dive into the nutrition, right? So going back to your past, and then we'll get to now. You had guidance mm-hmm. from a nutritionist during your calisthenics days. I did work with a nutritionist. I was, I was definitely. I think I was 180, 185. But I was un, untrained. I was sedentary, right? I was, ugh, I was in terrible shape. So she, um, we didn't track anything. What she did was she, she wrote the meals and basically she cut out the fat and we ate a very, uh, a lot of whole foods. And um, it was just lean meat, a lot of grains, a lot of grains. It was boring, but the, the, the weight flew off. Um, once I hit 168, she's like, we got to stop. We got to stop with, with the, you know, the cutting and whatnot. I wasn't strength training per se at that point. And when mm-hmm. I say per se, I, I was doing like sprints in my yard, push-ups on the picnic table and that kind of stuff, right? Um, I enjoyed the process. Um, she did individualize it every week. She'd write the meal plan and then she'd do, the, how you doing? She'd do check-ins and then we would change certain things based mm-hmm. on the outcome. Um I learned how to eat cleaner, but that's pretty much it. Just eat whole foods cleaner. I mean, yeah, the grocery bill was ridiculously expensive because we were putting all sorts of stuff in it. And it's like, that was, that was the long and short of that process. I don't think I learned a lot. Okay. You didn't it learn. Was okay. So I asked action. That. It was an, it was a successful from the action standpoint. Yes. I lost weight, ate better foods, but I didn't learn much. And this is why when, when, when I uh, talked to you initially before the cut, I'm like, I'm not just interested in cutting weight. I want to actually learn stuff from this mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why. That, that, that's exactly why. Because I learned from that process, like, I don't want to just succeed. I'm not ends driven. I want the means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you did. And it's funny because I have clients who are super curious and want to learn from day one. I have others that mm-hmm. they want the results, but then they're surprised that it it's really that they develop skills and, and they learn a lot. Because I, I, like I said, I want you to fire me after six months. You can do this on your own and yeah. keep working together if you have new new goals and challenges. But yeah. meal plans are not the way to go. You know, cutting out foods is not the way to go. I think you are, you know that by now. Yeah. You know, yeah. understanding, yeah. making the informed choice for yourself about what you're going to eat and what you're not going to eat. And it's not the end of the day if you have Oreo cookies. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I love Oreos. Like we said, Oreos, Hydrox, different men milk, uh, good stuff. So, Mm -hmm. okay. So that was your past of nutrition. We're going to eventually connect that to the present. I do want to tie in the training uh, a little bit more because you mentioned the starting strength uh, NLP, which is the novice linear progression, which for the listener is a three-day full body program to get very strong very quickly. Um, you said you didn't seek out a coach at the time. You didn't attend a seminar. What was your reasoning for going in alone? And what was that like? My idea uh, of training from scratch is that if you have, if you have some kind of a safety net, you're going to take it, right? 
So what I did was I put everything on the table and I said, I am ultimately responsible for learning this. I had the starting strength books. I had the videos and I accepted that it was not perfect. It was not comprehensive, but I was so new to the sport that I didn't want to expose myself to so many different resources because I didn't have the tools to discriminate between those resources. So I kept it simple. I kept it I, I did what I could with the videos and the books, and I just trained on my own through recording myself and critiquing myself to the point where I was satisfied that I, I had done everything I could in my head to train and figure out and improve. And that's when I, um, and that's when I, you know, uh, got Andy Baker, you know, that's when yeah. I had signed up with his group because I'm like, I realized that I'd taken my own brain as far as I could. Mm-hmm. And I took it really far. I got to tell you, like I, I bashed myself again, it's just my personality, but there were times where I'd have a pen and paper and I'm trying to figure it out, like just solving a puzzle. That's all it was yeah. to me. Was solving a puzzle. And it, my NLP took a while. Cause I did a lot of resets because my video showed that my form was terrible. So I reset the weight. Yeah. So that process, it taught me so much because it was so intense. It was just me. I had nobody. It was yeah. just me. There's no, Lifting buddies, right? It was a great process. It was sloppy. It took long. But at the end of it, I had a lot of confidence because I'm, I was the one who who figured it out, did it, whatever yeah. I figured out. Yeah, I understand that. That process of self-experimentation, which you can take yeah. to a certain level, and, and mm-hmm. but sometimes, right, you want help. So you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned you didn't have the tools to discriminate between the resources Right, I didn't that so I you didn't. Mean, you weren't necessarily you thought it would be just spreading yourself too thin to go and go this all these different directions. Is that what you're getting at? Well, it's a good question. So okay. I realized that um, the SS crew, mainly Rip, he was on the he was on the videos, knew what the heck he was talking about. It's right. easy to see that because he's simple, he's upfront, he's very objective. Yep. He will talk about. The simplest thing for 10 minutes and lay out every single part of it. So, you know, he's talking about, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So I said, I trust this source. I am not experienced enough to, to meet through all this other stuff to see who else is going to be a positive influence. So I said, for now, I'm just going to do this one source, not forever. I'm just going to do this one source until I have a basis and then I will allow myself to open up the doors. This is one thing I, I think people screw up about social media. They, 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 they look up, they just confuse themselves and they distract themselves with all these different resources. And then they wind up where? Yeah, nowhere. nowhere. It's a shiny object syndrome. Exactly. Um, That's a shiny object syndrome. And I, re- I resisted that and it worked very well. So it was a great, it was a great um, idea I had. Yeah, it's to be funny. humble. No, it is funny you say that. Do you remember, you remember probably early in starting strength when you looked at form checks? There were different places to see form checks, right? They had their own community on Facebook, but there was also the Reddit community that they made fun of because it's uh-huh. just every man for himself. There's no uh, moderation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so even in the starting strength Reddit form, you could get led the wrong direction with a bad form check, you know? That's it. Yeah. I wanted to insulate yeah. myself from that because I recognized I didn't have the ability to yeah. not see bullshit from good yeah. stuff. So I said, I'm only going to look at Star Trek until I grow a little bit. And then the door, now the door is open. Now I look at all sorts of stuff. 
Sure. And I could be like, idiot, idiot. You know what you're talking about. Good. Oh, I'll look further into that. This you, and that. you got the judgment built up now. Yeah. That, that nice armor oh, of I judgment. Judge, I'll yeah. judge the hell out of anything yeah. at this point. I, th- I think you, you know, you're going to like uh, next week, uh, Cody Anino is going to be on. He's, he's like the, I think he's the only guy in Connecticut that's a starting strength coach. I think there's only one, yeah. right? Yeah. And he, uh, mm-hmm. he actually helped me for one session, one session and that fixed with your squat, fixed my squat right? and deadlift yep. and press or no squat, dead, squat and press. Um, yeah. So, you know, so, but again, you have to know to discriminate and find those resources. Um, okay. So you and I, we, we always talk about the value of either there's the people that want to max out all the time, right? Like on starting strength in your NLP, that's effectively what you're doing. You're maxing out your three by five yeah. or your one by five. And you should. Session. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's, then there's the idea of making progress, which at some point you hit a wall, right? When you become mm-hmm. an intermediate lifter and you're not always hitting yeah. PRs. Or you get injured, yeah. or you have recovery issues, or you go on vacation. Vacation, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what is your perspective just for the listener on when when you'd focus on PRs versus when you wouldn't? When you focus... Okay, are you talking about... There, is there two questions in there? Or the, <laughs> sorry. What's the value of maxing out versus making progress without necessarily always maxing out? Okay, so well, maxing out, period... If you are, there's no point in maxing out if you're, if you're a novice. This is pretty common knowledge because every single session, since you can recover so quickly, every single session is a max, right? Once you get to a certain point where your recovery takes a longer period of time, you um, maxing out, it, it does have a certain benefit because specifically if you're in a, a percentage-based program, because your percentages are based off your one rep max, right? Also, rep max at like one RMs, they're going to teach you to grind, like to to do a one hard one RM is completely different skill set than a three RM. Uh, you're putting everything on the line for that for that one max. Um, and if you're going to make it a regular process, you have to learn how to program well because that one RM is going to drain your nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do this, is why these random the random maxing out is so stupid because it drains so many resources. You're not thinking, Oh yeah. The, Hey, I'm going to test my deadlift today. I'm going to test my deadlift. Yeah. If you're going to max out well, you, you, you got to think about a yeah. week from now, right? Yeah. If you max out your deadlift, your squat and your deadlift are going to be affected. If you're, let's say generally, if you're after 30, I'm going to say 10 to 20 days, it's going to be affected, right? If you're younger, you'll probably be able to recover a little bit faster from that. <laughs> That's huge because if you're in a training cycle, where you're doing weekly training and you just did one lift that's going to affect you for 10, 14 days, guess what? Your entire, your whole training has to change for the next couple of weeks. That's a big, that's a big cost to pay. Um, so if you're going to max out, it does have benefits. It, it recruits a whole lot of muscle fibers. It gives you a, a, it can give you confidence. It can be very humbling. It tests your form. Um, but it's it's really going to task the rest of your training. So I think uh, you really got to take it seriously. And if not, you're you're just going to be spinning your wheels. You're not going to be setting. Yeah, no, for maxes. sure. I think, I think that's one reason we both like Andy's conjugate program, right? Because you rotate through yeah. what you're maxing yeah. out, which is an innovative exactly. concept because you wouldn't exactly. necessarily know intuitively that a back squat versus a front squat wouldn't yeah. both tax you out the same, <laughs> tax you the same it for the but yeah, it doesn't, it, yeah. It cycles the it cycles the stress. So a max effort front squat is not going to completely drain you for the following week's max effort box squat, right? Yep. I don't do the conjugate. I do the eight five two, and I've yeah. I talked to Andy about it because I've really morphed my my programming. I've melded basically conjugate and eight five two to so it allows me to hit higher intensity lifts. 
So for people who don't know what 852 is, you do an 8-hour eight, eight rep max for your uh, working set for the first week. Second week is 5 rep max. Third week is a 2 rep max. What I did is I made my 2s week a 2s slash 1 week. So if my lifts are really progressing, my body feels great, I'm not just going to go for a 2 on that 2s week. I'll go for a single, right? Okay. And it'll be draining, but guess what? The following week, it's it, it's an 8 arm, eight rep max. Cool. Load comes down. It's more It's more of a work capacity thing. So. That's how I program deliberately. Pro- Again, the key is deliberately programming your max effort lifts because if you don't, you, your strength training is going to be shot. Um, that's how I program the, the max effort, and it's actually working out pretty well. Yeah, let, let me ask you that. I know we're going down a programming rabbit hole, which I didn't necessarily intend to, but I think it's awesome because people are really fascinated about that. For when you do the twos when you, on twos week, um, do you still hit the two at the intended load for two and then go for a one? No, you skip that's that. Too much. You kind of skip that's that level much. and just go yeah, for one. Yeah, okay. too much because the two, the two is the two yeah. rep max. So say you're, you're yeah, which is basically 95, 92 to ninety five percent of your one rep max. Well, that's well really wait, 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 is it rep max or it's a, it's a max for three sets of two? It's the idea is a two two rep max, a single if two you, rep max. It, now, depending upon your training, you can do three sets of that. I do not. Okay. I don't respond okay. well to multiple sets. All right. Again, you have to individualize it. So yep. Um, to answer your first question, I will know if I'm ca- if I'm getting close to a one rep max attempt instead of a two. If the previous week and fives I did, I hit like a seven, right? So for example, the other week I did, I did a, on fives week I hit seven, right? So I know that I'm progressing. I might be able to do have the have the strength and progress to do a one RM instead of just a two. If I grind it against that five RM, if I only hit four reps or barely hit the fifth, I'm going to know that next week I'm probably just going to get a two. Maybe okay. I'm going to have to drop the load a little bit. See what I'm saying? Okay, so, so again, you're, a, you're doing a top a set on the on each of these, the A5, you're not doing two or three. You're just doing a top set. Not with squat and deadlift anymore. Okay. I do one top set and I'll do 10% back off. 10% back off. With and pressing, your, I can do top sets yeah. through the roof. And on your top set, sounds like you will push past the programmed reps if you can. So that's the thing. Yeah. Okay. If I program a certain cool. load. So again, I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't, I didn't know the other day that I was going to be able to hit seven on yep. that load. Yep. I thought I was going to go for five because the previous cycle five, I did five pounds less and you incrementally increase mm-hmm. five pounds each cycle. So I'm like, I'm just going to go for three, you know, 350 is what I got programmed. This is what I'm going to do. And I just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty good. Right. I didn't, I wasn't a hero after that. I, I dropped the load 10%. But that told me that the squat is progressing where the twos week might actually become a one week. Yeah, I love it. And and for people listening, like who who are confused in any way, like it took you a long time to get to this point, right? It took years, like the basics years. and then more advanced programming that was still temp, sort of templated than getting into a barbell club where you got feedback, then individualized coaching. And now you can kind yes. of tweak yourself. Right? Yeah. yeah. Trial, it's, it's trial and yeah. error. Critique yourself, but go easy on yourself. You're not going to get it in one week or one month or six months. It's yeah. going to take a while to figure out what, like, I have my own programming now. Like, yeah. Yeah. No one told me that. So there's some parallels to this on the nutrition side because you and I knew each other for a while before you reached out for uh, help specifically as a client. Um, early mm-hmm. on, you reached out to talk, right? We had like a, one of my free calls that I do and we chatted about your, 
outlook and what you could do. And you're like, yeah, I'm not ready. You know, I don't, I don't need to hire you right now, but I understand where you're going. And for a while we went back and forth, like you would share your data with me. I'd say, you got to eat more carbs. You'd say, no way. And we go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But, um, your experience before, I, I view it as, and correct me if I'm wrong, like a form of intuitive eating, right? Your routine allowed you to maintain your weight for, for a while without tracking and you were eating yeah. the whole foods mm-hmm. and stuff. Maybe some of that you had learned from the past experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then I came along and I said, hey, maybe, maybe more tracking, you get more precision, more objectivity, right? If you're going yeah. for a change in your body, that's the key. Yes. Right? If you want to really cut and do it efficiently. So, yeah. so what are your thoughts on all that? The intuitive eating st- side, the tracking skills, so, et cetera. Yeah. Yep. So in- intuitive eating, I think, is, is a skill like anything else. Mm-hmm. And I'm, build- I'm big on people acquiring skills so that you can have independence. That being said, if you don't know much about nutrition, your intuitive eating is only going to be that is only going to be up to that level, right? So when we say intuitive eating, we act like it's this universal value, like we just oh, I'm just going to eat intuitively, and everybody's going to perform the same way. We are not. So I can now, since I've you know worked with you and learned more about macros and how to balance them, I can eat. I can eat intuitively, right? But the how I eat intuitively has changed because I am more informed and effective at eating, right? So in terms of bulking and cutting, I would prefer to be more precise, therefore tracking. I would lean on macrofactor to track, right? I still track. I'm at maintenance right now. I still track, but I'm more loose about it because I have a better understanding of things. So I really think intuitive eating and tracking are, they don't have to be at war. They can, they can work. They can both be tools that are skills that you can use at different times. And if you have the ability to use, if you have the certain ability to, to use either one of them, then you're a fuller, more independent person than if you just did one. And that's what, when I first started talking to you, yeah, I was, I was eating intuitively, but I had a lot of holes. So Mm -hmm. what's the sense, right? You want to learn the basics, start tracking, see it, and then I can eat intuitively again, go back to tracking, learn more, and basically ratchet my way toward a, just a better way of nutritional you know, life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did, yeah. I, I love the way you put it, how it's, it's acquiring skills. So you gain independence and the way you've done it has changed, right? Because I totally think most changed. people yeah. are eating quote unquote intuitively and it's terrible, right? <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> and again, I, I, I hate to compliment you, but I'm really happy with what I learned from you working with. You. <laughs> like, like what uh, uh, specifically carbohydrates? Um, drop the fats. Don't need to eat too much fat. I eat plenty of protein. Um, and uh, another thing that you really helped me see is food is just energy. It's just yeah. energy, right? And if you approach it from a weekly intake standpoint rather than daily, you have more flexibility. Like, for example, yesterday, I accidentally ate in a deficit, right? I think I was even 10 grams of protein short. No big deal. Yeah. Just eat a little bit more today, right? It's not a big deal. Yeah. Just make up for it. I love that. Yeah. As long as at the end of the week, you're still eating what you need to eat, you're fine. Right? Yeah. Don't stress it. I mean, clients all the time when they check in and it's like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm off of my targets. It's like, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Um, obviously, if you're, you know, thousands and thousands of calories off that's going to be a different discussion but chance most people are if you're aiming for a target you're going to be in the ballpark that's good enough yeah yeah exactly yeah and and just nudge yourself in either direction you have a you overeat one day or for a couple couple days 
just take it easy the next yeah. couple. Shout out to Felipe. I know Felipe for a long time. I know how passionate he is about healthy eating and body strength. And that's why I choose him to be my coach. I was no stranger to dieting and body training, but I always struggled to do it sustainably. Philip helped me prioritize my goals with evidence-based recommendations while not overstressing my body and not feeling like I'm starving. In six months, I lost 45 pounds without drastically changing the foods I enjoy, but now I have a more balanced diet. I weight train consistently, but most importantly, I do it sustainably. If a scientifically sound, healthy diet and a lean, strong body is what you're looking for, uh, Philip Pape is your guy. Tell us about your thoughts. Okay, so I was out with my family. This was like on a weekend and my wife and daughters, they were like in the bathroom or something and you had texted me your macrofactor um, image. This is before we were working together and and you said, what what would the ratios be? Or not the ratios, you know, like what would the, the macro levels be in your opinion? And I said, pretty much flip the fats and carbs, right? He was like, way more carbs. And you yeah. were just... Besides the way you responded, you're like, that's ridiculous. I don't know what you well, said. That was, I mean, tell me your thoughts at that time. Why, what were you thinking and what your experience told you that this was, this guy's nuts at the moment? I didn't know how to consume yeah. that many carbohydrates without consuming ultra processed foods. Yeah. And I remember asking you, well, what do I eat? And you gave me some suggestions. You're like, well, white potato, sweet potato, rice. And I'm like, looking at myself and I'm like, wow, I just asked a question that was a stupid question, but it was good that I asked a stupid question. And I understood that most of my eating, thanks to the first nutritionist, was all those free foods, greens. I would eat greens and colorful things that don't have a lot of caloric value. I, I was eating nutritionally dense foods, <laughs> specifically micronutrient dense foods. But when it came to the carbohydrate macro, I, I really wasn't consuming a lot. Right? Yeah. So that's why after you, you know, you're like, you got to flip those numbers. I'm like, how do I do that? And so now I literally just had chicken and rice. Mm -hmm. and I'm getting used to it. I've gotten used to it now. And I, I love it. Yeah. At the beginning, it was hard because I mean, you're switching fats and carbs. It's, it's like your diet is drastically changing. It's true. It's true. Cause, cause but fats come I, with I, a lot I, of I, proteins and then fats and carbs are often together and processed foods. And it's like, what, what do you exactly yeah. do you eat? Yeah. Yeah, and fats can be calorically dense, right? Yep. And it's like, uh, yeah, it, it just, anyway, it was very, it was jarring at first, but I realized that I needed to make a change. And I'm like, this is the guy that helped me make the change yes. and slowly just implemented the changes to now. There's less inertia to doing that. Actually, there's no inertia to doing that now. now yeah, it's yeah, just you had to get through that comfort zone. I kind of expand that comfort zone. I had to get through it. Well, exactly. Well, for people listening who are like maybe worried about increasing their carbs, and I definitely had many. This is a very common story, to be honest, in terms of going from lower lower to standard or higher carbs. You know, mm -hmm. I have a lot of women that say, "Well, I feel bloated, or I have digestive issues, or whatever." There, there is an adaptation period. What was that like? Mm -hmm. If you went through that, uh, there was no physical adaptation okay. part right. probably just had more energy what i my i had the same cliche that many people have it was probably just i just accepted the ignorance it makes me fat it makes me slow it makes me gain weight it makes me hold water there you go after yeah. you know i just again i let you influence me i said this guy knows what he's talking about i'm just going to listen and do it whatever psychological bs i had was just set aside and i just did it and physically it felt fine yeah and and it helps you with and it helps with your energy and recovery. Oh goodness, yeah. Okay, that's why I'm not rushing to a bulk right now yeah. because my diet changed. I'm sticking. Oh, seriously, I'm sticking to maintenance. 
my lifts are doing great. My recovery is great, right? Strength is good. Once I get to a certain point of plateauing, then I'll just bulk a little bit, right? The, the carbs have definitely helped with recovery, with energy, with pretty much which with everything. I think, I think looking back on it, I really misunderstood certain biological feedback I was receiving as not having enough protein but, when it was really not having enough carbohydrates. Yeah. Yeah, because you, yeah, I remember you asked about um, like the protein sparing effects of carbs, and we went down that rabbit hole of, you know, the body how it, it will use protein if it doesn't have enough carbs and convert that to yeah. glucose. It doesn't go straight to your fat. People like to think that, but it doesn't. It's going to go and use up some mm-hmm. protein, which then prevents its availability for muscle building. So when you're gaining, uh-huh. you know, we know this from keto diets that the people on keto gain like at one fifth the rate of muscle gain of people that aren't, you know, so. Oh, because of the protein sparing. Yeah, that's it. Crazy. It's just carbohydrates are the boogeyman, and hopefully this this BS stops. Yeah, but like I hope so. They're the boogeyman for no good reason. Yeah, for no good reason. So speaking of recovery beyond that, right? I know you believe in the value of not only nutrition but also sleep and just recovery in general, especially as we get older. Um, to the point where I think I I feel the way you message it is like that almost should be the first thing you think about before you start programming you know, your lifts and your week. What, what are your thoughts? That's just my opinion of how it comes across. What should be the first thing? What are your thoughts on recovery in general, basically? Especially for people in like the 40s and 50s. Training is sleep and reco- is, is sleep and nutrition, right? Training training is that because, okay. again, you, you can't put garbage in your vehicle and expect the vehicle to go very far, right? So I don't think about, I don't think about recovery because I've, I have mastered certain points of this I try to get really good sleep, continuous sleep, and I work on eating whole foods um, and now specifically more carbs, right? So that automatically fills in the reco- – that maxes out my ability to recover. And then we have the other stuff like stress and, and whatnot, which psychologically we try to balance that. But um, that is – that's recovery. I don't do – I don't roll around on a foam roller. I don't use the massage gun. I mean, if I have a really, really sore – if I have a knot, a really bad knot, which doesn't happen very often, I'll take the massage gun to it. But I don't do this like um, the, the what do you call it? static stretch recovery mm-hmm. and the foam Dynamic roll crap. Warm no, ups. it's it's yeah. eating good foods. I got to get good food in the body. I got to sleep, let the body rest, and I have to program smart. <laughs> Meaning, I don't go out to the beginning of the conversation. I don't go out and max out all the time. I have to cycle the stress. This is all. This all produces recovery. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to think about it. I think people, you know, when you're younger, you don't think about it because you recover so easily and you kind of learn the hard way. So if you're listening to this, learn the slightly easier way by listening to Tony talk about how important that is. It is. When you're younger, you can get away with a whole lot of stuff. And a lot of young lifters don't get away with it. They get, they get hurt. Yeah, it's true. And then they look back and when they're, when they're 50, they're like, oh yeah, I wish I wouldn't have done that when I was 22. But you did. Yeah. So, yeah. We can do so uh, during during the cut specifically. I imagine recovery becomes even more important. Uh, yeah, I didn't recover. Yeah, I didn't. It's recover. hard to recover. I had to right? stop. Yeah, I didn't. I oh my goodness. Yeah, I see all the. I see you guys a tangent. I see a lot of other lifters who who want to cut some fat and their progress looks great. And I'm like, you guys are awesome. Me, I was like a shriveled raisin. I was holding on for dear life. I was like, oh, I was really hard to perform. My recovery I had to stop. I was doing some running on a really nice outside trail um, at that time. And I remember I, I, I just said, I have to just walk at this point. Yeah. 
And so I had, I had no ability to recover from anything. I was just, and mentally it was taxing. Cause I'm like, I felt like kryptonite yeah just felt so weak right but the deficit was to be maintained that was the priority so i maintained the deficit and accepted all those costs um until i started eating again and then i recover fine yeah and and i want to i want to highlight that because you were at the the you were pegged at the upper limit of what we'd recommend for deficit you were basically going all out at one percent a week and sometimes it even creeped past that because you were just (laughs) pretty disciplined um and like you said you were that was your priority and and we kept the duration I mean, it was only six weeks, right? Whereas you could go half that, that rate, but now you're doing it for three months and it's, it's a different trade, right? Yeah. So my, my expenditure was about, I don't know, 2,900, 3,000 on the cut. And my intake was 2,000. I have, when, I, when I dipped below 2,000 is when I was like, can't do it. So I was, I was hitting about 1,000 calorie deficit a day for what, six weeks? Yeah. Right. It's big. It's big. It's, yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. It is. And that's it right around the point. That thousand calories seems to be around the trigger point for a lot of people where it starts to go downhill fast. Oh, does it? It, it does. Yeah. And you know, we're doing this rapid fat loss challenge now for two weeks. And like I have a similar expenditure as you, 28, 2900, and I'm eating around 1600 calories. So, God, you know, and I feel that's it. crazy. But you also have a couple of refeeds in there. But anyway, yeah. Again, yeah. people listening, it's like, it's not about the quick fix, it's, it's making the trade off between, you know, how focused do you want to be in the fat loss phase and yeah. deal with some of those recovery issues, which are just going to happen. It's your body saying, Hey, give me more food. Exactly. I'm in, yeah. I'm going to release some fat is. to give you energy. Exactly. Versus, you know, taking a little bit more lightly and, but dragging it out for a lot longer. And that's the thing. I didn't want to drag it out because I already feel like I wasted enough time doing, you know, other stuff in life. I want to catch up. I want to make gains. Yeah. So I want to do the, exactly. the shortest possible, exactly. shortest possible cut. Yeah, but that I mean you made a good point that if you're going to cut or bulk or train or do anything you have to be consistently put in the effort over time. Like even though I only had a 6 week cut, I every single day I took everything. Every single meal was very very serious. Stuck with it, got to the end goal, right? It's just like training. If you want to build up your bench, it's going to take a long time. You can't switch goals. Yeah. You got to stick with it. Yeah. You'll get the goal, you'll get the the result. Why do you think so many kids take PEDs? Yeah, no, well, right, for do sure. <laughs> they don't want to do it's that. A, I mean, a cut like yours is a short-term, quote-unquote, extreme, but a controlled extreme done the right way to get it over and done. Um, so, so speaking of your cut, because you talk about learning and education, what did what did you learn, either in general from nutrition and specifically from that cut? Like top two or three takeaways. Uh, well, about my body, I realized that my body downregulates hunger very quickly. After that first week, I didn't really experience much hunger to a point where now I'm back on maintenance. I still have to, I don't have much hunger, a little bit. Um, so I just, I learned that my body responds very well to being in deficit in respect to the goal of cutting fat. Again, strength goes down, energy goes down, but my body says, we're going to cut off a lot of fat. So that was a really big learning thing for me. I also realized how simple it was. It was very hard, but it was simple which is exactly one of the tools of understanding that I wanted to get, wanted to achieve. Um, it was very, very hard. But now I have so many more tools where I can, in the future, you know, say I bulk up a little bit over time to get the strength and I realize that I hate myself. I want to cut again. I can just, it's not a mystery on how to do it. Yeah, Very simple. It's very, it's very simple. Um, what else did I, let's see, what else did I learn? Um, Again, I, I have a new appreciation for food and that it is just energy, right? So I talked 
I came down with COVID about a week ago, right? And I told you that I dipped into a deficit. And how did I keep get keep from going into the deficit? Oreo cookies. Is it ideal? <laughs> no. But the point is, food is just energy. And I needed a couple hundred calories to go keep from going into deficit. So I just had some Oreos. And it's funny because people are like, no, you ate them because you liked them. It's like, no, I didn't. I didn't. wasn't hungry. Yeah. I made an objective choice. It's calorie dense. Based on food yep. being energy. Oreos are easy, easy to eat with some milk. Boom, boom. So in terms of manipulating the energy that comes in, even I even talk about food as energy at this point. It's so boring. But in terms of manipulating certain goals, just look at food as energy. Yeah. Instead of food. Because then when you think of food, you can, you can kind of get a little emotional about it. Right? For sure. It's part of so, our culture. Yeah. It's part of being a human. Yeah. Yeah. And I still love food like pretty much everybody. But that's one of the biggest things I learned is I just looked at look at food as energy. Yeah. And choices become a lot easier to make when I look at it just objectively like that. I think that's a healthy mindset, um, man, because mindset, because your brain is everything in this process. And that, that yeah. you, mean, you really just hit on a very key principle where you, the Oreo story, right? Because I will, I will throw in a pop tart if I'm like short on my carbs and I need the energy and I don't want to go in a deficit and I'm not that hungry and that's okay, you know, because it's taken in my 10, 20%. And the rest of it's whole food. In fact, the fact that you don't make it such an emotional thing and you're doing it for objective reasons tells you everything else is pretty dialed in from yeah. you're satisfied. You know, you're satisfied with what you're eating. Um, exactly. Yeah. I also, as I said the other day, I also don't sit down with the pack of Oreos in my yeah, lap. Of course. I say, exactly. I'm going to have two servings of it. Yes. I'm going to have three servings because three servings is 280, 280 calories. My milk is going to be 70 calories, right? Yeah. Portion. Yeah, you portion it. You put it in a bowl, put it whatever. Yeah. In the bowl. Exactly. It's an event. I chose the event and then it's over. I'm not sitting there blindly watching, peeling through Instagram reels as I go through like 20 Oreos because then it's like, mm, that's not the goal either. Yeah. No, I, I love those little tips because we talk about flexible dieting and intuitive eating, but it's not like a free for all with every th- single thing you do. There's so, you still want to have some uh, guidelines and strategies like, controlling your food environment, you know, using portions, Ooh. using plates, like all those little things, mm-hmm. not grazing, having meal times, having times for your meal, not just like mm-hmm. free for all. And that doesn't, that's not restrictive. That's just having a little bit of self-discipline or restraint. Well, you're having, you're having restraint. You're making an informed choice on the preferable result. Yeah. Right. I don't, I don't yeah. see it as any more complicated as that. You want the res- a certain result, and then you choose within certain framework. I think when, when we lose the loss of discipline is is like the absence of discipline. It's like, well, I don't know what the result is. I just want to be in the moment where it feels good right now. Yeah. There you go. And many of us have been there. Many people listening might still be there. So there's there's all, yeah. there's, a, there's a better way. I want to ask about hunger because yeah. you said you didn't have too much. Were you hungry years ago when you were working with a nutritionist and losing weight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I was hungry. She said, if you're hungry, eat. Yeah. There were approved foods, though, so I would only eat the approved foods. Um, after a while, the hunger did downregulate. I didn't really have much of it. Um, eating became—I'm not going to say a chore, but it became it became more more uh, more boring. And I knew in the back of my head, I knew that it wasn't sustainable in the yeah, long term. Yeah, I'm like. I'm like, this is the stuff that we're making. My wife and I will be making this food. And it's like, yeah, it's good. But we're not going to be making uh, all this food 
for the rest of our lives. This is ridiculous. All right. So, so here's why I asked this, because if, if at one point in the past you were able to get hungry in a deficit and this time you didn't, I know you said that, you know, my body's good at this, but could it also be your food choice and selection? Could it be protein and the fiber? Which you were pretty good at getting in sufficient amounts. That might of be the biggest leading question I've ever heard in my life. You know what <laughs> I want you to say. Don't worry. Say whatever comes to your mind. <laughs> I yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm sure. And I have a lot still to learn about satiety and um, manipulating satiety. Yeah. Whereas if I know if I want to go on a bulk, <clears throat> stay away from certain foods so increase the the hunger. And these are all future lessons for me to master. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know, and I don't expect myself. I don't require myself to know. I only require myself to say, you know, there's more things here for you to learn, to look at. I mean, that might be and, a cool uh, thing to go back and look at the patterns in your food and 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 compare to the mm-hmm. satiety. I mean, you could even use the satiety index. So for those listening, like there is an index that was done in a study that's well validated that shows you ranks foods by their level of satiety. You said potatoes. White potatoes right? are the most satious. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're very yeah. high. Like they... They're like double the next food, and uh, it has to do with the resistant Crazy. starch, apparently, in the white potatoes. Oh, okay. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. if you went, I, I would pretty much guarantee because I saw your food logs. I didn't always see the specific foods you had, but I would look yeah. at your macros all the time. Your protein was was up there consistently, and I think you were pretty good at bringing getting fiber because you had a lot of whole foods. And right there, those uh-huh. would be the two things people would say keep you full. Um, even in mm-hmm. the cut, I just I just make mentioning oh, okay. that for the for the audience because we talk about objectivity and it's that makes like sense. we want to know why. Yeah, ultimately, you yeah. know, yeah, that makes sense. That's a, that, <clears throat> that's a good point. Yeah, and speaking of satiety, I really appreciate rice now because <clears throat> I mean I just had chicken and rice. I feel great. I, I'm not like bloated and full. Yeah, I feel great. But if I had a bunch of potatoes, it would be like I'm not going to eat for yeah hours. <laughs> right, Where, that's right. It's these are all serious big things when you have nutritional goals and strength training goals. Like these are all actually really big things. Well, you know what makes potatoes easier to eat? Deep frying them in oil. Uh, oh, that's Cutting true. them up and deep frying them in oil makes them easier to eat. And actually that's physiologically a thing. The fact that there's fat there, anything with fat. So people don't realize this, like any fat at all you add to anything, fat is a magical macro that makes you want to eat. And, and okay. there's something about that mechanism that you add fat to something, you eat it. I mean, Package food. Oh, that makes sense. It's a survival thing yeah. because survival, yeah. evolutionary wise, evolutionary wise, we we want to add fat to store energy yeah. because we may not have food in the winter time because we're still cavemen. That's right. We forget that we're still we're not we forget that we're cavemen because we have trucks and houses. But evolution doesn't move so fast to say, okay, we're we're not you know we're out of those environmental conditions anymore. We're going to downregulate this fat necessity. Yeah. No, yeah. we 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 want fat to you know. To store energy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's why you start with... That's why it's unnatural yeah. unnatural for all you people who want abs. Not natural. You need fat. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. But it's true, right? That's why you, your fat ends up getting pretty low on a, on a cut, just naturally. That, that usually makes it mm-hmm. easier to get through calorie-wise. Um, all right. Let, let's get back to training a little bit, kind of going back and forth between these. You know, you said earlier that barbell training is a mental activity expressed physically. Um, yeah. And you kind of explained what that meant, but can you elaborate on the mental struggles or the barriers that you had to break through in that process? Um, well, I mean, when I was growing up, I, I was never in, in, instilled with a lot of confidence, right? right? So the grind of barbell training really 
it filled that void that had been there for a while. So on a personal level, it was like self-therapy, right? Um, When you're dealing with... um, Barbell training is not just about the muscles. And I can't stand when... I even hate saying that because it's about tissues. It's about the tendons, the ligaments. It's about the neurological changes, the metabolic change. It's, It's about so many more things than just muscle. And I think, I think once I realized that, I realized that it was a lot more than just moving load because you've got to, you got to figure out how the load is to be moved and when not to move the mode, move the load. Right. right? And, and the effects of, um, and the effects of moving that load, for example, like I had a, uh, my rotator cuff got a little sore months ago. I don't know doing what, but guess what? Like that's a, those are those are tendons. I mean, you know, you're talking, you know what I'm talking about, and they heal very slowly. The muscles are fine, but the tendon is sore, right? So you have to adjust the training, and that's a mental thing to not go to, to figure out how exactly to work around this obstacle. It's true, yeah. and, and, and training is a bunch of obstacles, especially after. I envy the NLP people. I just add five pounds of <laughs> I can't do that anymore. Even like the keep it simple. I can't do that. I keep it as simple as I can, but the, the programming and the training has gotten pretty complex. Perfect. And the way we navigate complexity and overcome it and solve those obstacles is the mind. The brain is the only thing that's going to do that. We are not going to accidentally figure out how to, how to blow past the plateau on our bench. We're not. You're going to get stuck. I see it all the time in the gym. People do stupid stuff because they just lift emotionally. Yeah. So when I say lifting is a mentally, mental thing expressed physically, it's really your brain has to be involved at every step. It's not optional. It has to be involved to be. or else you will not progress. You're not going to progress anywhere. Yeah. That, we just wanted to some deep stuff there, which is, which is worth bringing up because we do talk about here the health benefits of lifting, right? The yeah. bone density, you mm-hmm. mentioned tendons, ligaments, hormones yeah. are another, like a huge hormones. benefit. Mm. Oh my God. Just exactly. huge. And, and, and hormones are just still this mystery to a lot of people and it's hard to explain it. But, um, mental health, it's interesting. We're heading into November, which is I think men's mental health month. I'm about to be collaborating mm-hmm. with some folks on that from a strength perspective and talking on some podcasts about how lifting affects your mental health. Now you said it totally. was self therapy. We know there's physiological change that occurs. I don't, I'm not educated in all the research yet. I want to be, but did you ever struggle mentally? I mean, this is more of a sensitive topic, mm-hmm. but like anxiety, yeah. depression, of anything course. like that, that yeah. lifting helps with. Yeah, well, ab- absolutely. I mean, I think that's pretty common. And I think that's, and I don't say that to, to, to justify it. I just <laughs> say that it's it, lifting, doing hard things. Again, this is why I really like my approach. If you go 100% at hard things and you require yourself to do the work, you're going to learn something along the way. You're going to get some kind of confidence. It's not You're going to get knocked on your ass, but you're not going to get defeated. Just yeah. because it's hard and just because you didn't hit whatever goal doesn't mean you're defeated. It just means you hit an obstacle. Bounce off it. Do something else. When we're do hard things, require, they bring the best out of us. Really, doing hard things bring the best thing, bring the best out of us. And when we're overcoming, when we're experiencing anxiety, anxiety is worry, worry about the future, about the unknown future. Well, guess what? Barbell training is in the now; it's in the present. And when you overcome the present, that hypothetical future, it, it kind of it's a shh, 
doesn't mean so because right now you're mastering the now, right? That's how training helps that we have to think with anxiety. Depression is, is, is that, that feeling. It's really feeling of being low, not being able to do anything. Well, training is literally doing something. Hmm. You are, you are moving something around. And this is why I encourage people to keep logbooks and your training logs and whatnot, because you'll have objective data. So no matter how you feel, if you're depressed, no matter how you feel about it, you can look at it and say, well, my squat, look at that. I did that a rep from last week. Look at that. There's improvement there, right? So I would say the the objectivity of training and the requirement of doing something hard, hard things bring out the best of us. Yeah. Easy things make us complacent and just make us accept things and just go with the flow. Yeah. Oh, hard things, they bring out the best of us. They transform us. I agree. It's very transformative training. And we don't, if we don't put a cap, if we don't predict or try to constrain who we think we're going to be, then we can do amazing things. It's very transformative because it's in the moment. It's a hard thing in the moment. Yeah. And it's good for our bodies. It's not like, I always use this example, gaming. When you're gaming, yes, it's going to be hard, but right. that's really a dopamine dump. Right? Training is not a dopamine dump. It's probably the opposite of it. It's so hard in the moment. You are requiring yourself to do something you might not be able to do. Yeah. Right. So it's 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 gonna transform you if you let it. It's gonna take you places you may not, you know, you you'll become someone you may not know. Some people that may find that scary, but just leave the unknown open. Just train and see what happens. Become hard, someone hard. you may not know. That 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 you may not that's know. a self-identity thing. Like you're you're transforming yeah. your identity on limit. Just let it happen. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Surround yourself with other people that work hard and just see what happens. You don't have to have certainty of of what will happen. And I think that this <laughs> the idea of certainty is really destructive. It's like, no, we don't need to I have no idea what my numbers will be. Or what condition I will be in in a year. All I can control is this moment mm -hmm. right here, this week. This week's programming is the only thing that's <clears throat> in my control. Yeah, and I'm gonna crush it. You're gonna crush it. You think I wanted to get COVID? <laughs> you think I wanted to get COVID when I was rocking my my program? No, but it was out of my control. Oh yeah, I didn't want to get now surgery. I'm I hear you, man. It's, there you go. It's, exactly, it was. It's gonna it. set you on your ass, like you said, but it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't stop you from moving forward in some way. No. Um, yeah. It's funny you say that because. A lot. So for me, I talk about that a lot, but I also experienced it early on when I finally figured this whole thing out. But when others tell me what you just said, so for example, I actually wrote an email about this to my list this morning. A friend of mine earlier this week finally got a rack and barbell. No, he didn't even get his rack yet. It. He didn't even get his rack yet, right? Yeah. He just started deadlifting and he did it in secret. And then he, because he, he was embarrassed maybe from his wife or his wife didn't believe he would go through mm -hmm. with it. And literally, he said from like the first session when he realized he could just do something and then the next one do a little more, he said, I just started to get confident. I just started to feel better about myself. I'm like, there you go, man. Like, it's incredible. It happens to everyone. Exactly. And you will, if yeah. you're a beginner, you will make progress of some kind. You just will. Yeah. I mean, unless you get to, yeah. unless you, you know, get in an accident and get totally, you know, to, mm -hmm. something. But yeah, it's incredible. Um, you will get confidence. Doing hard things produces confidence. Doing easy things, it's going to keep, you just insecure and depressed. Yeah. No. There you go. Do hard things. You, you will find your confidence skyrockets. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. So if if you could offer one piece of advice that would make the biggest difference in someone's journey toward this ideal identity of, of a stronger, healthier person, 
And maybe something's radically changed your own life that you wish you knew when you were 20, what would it be and why? Well, no, nobody cares about you or your progress or your look nearly as much as you do. When you're 20, you believe that other people do. You get the looks, you have the feedback on people, you get the likes online. We have this idea that that attention is an accurate assessment of how other people's place value on us. We think that other people are carrying us around with them all day long. That's just not true. So my advice would be just accept that nobody's walking around with us in their minds and in their hearts every day. And the reason I say that is so that we can look at ourselves and say, are we acting according to internal validation or external validation? Because, and I revisit this question frequently because it's, it's easy to develop an ego. I get it. And when you start to appreciate that other people don't really care what you're doing, you can see, hmm, what I'm doing right now or what I just did. Yeah, that was, that was for other people. Right? Yeah. And, but it lets you let it go. If you think that other people, if you convince yourself that other people think about you a lot more than they do, you will allow yourself to deceive yourself into doing things for external validation because you think it's so important. It's not. Yeah. And that's one thing that my calisthenics taught me, even though people in the gym, they thought it was looked so cool looking. They didn't care. They just walked away. Right. So I would say internal validation versus external validation. Identify the external, get rid of it. Focus on internal because that produces real satisfaction and, and, indefinite fulfillment it's it's you being fulfilled you're not doing it for other people yeah. you know you want your abs make sure you're doing it for you for sure and test yeah and 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 you know if you want to lift your heavy weights make sure you're doing it for you ask yourself the tough questions ask yourself for that look for the right. external validation in your life and get rid of it because then you're really going to become more confident i agree it, it actually and, gets you to take actions on things you might not have otherwise because you otherwise, you know, you think people are judging you or you're going to be embarrassed. I mean, yeah. my experience with that is with, with everything I do with this coaching stuff, every, every single step I took was like, what are they going to think about me? It doesn't matter. Just do it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. what is there, is there a nuance there where it comes to doing things to help other people um, knowing that there's also external validation? Do you know what I mean? Like, so what am I trying to say here? So for example, um, I will I will gladly share with the world what a client says about how I helped them because I'm proud that I helped them. Is that is that seeking external validation or is that um you know, what, what do you think of that? You're sharing it for who and for why. That's really the question. It's hard for me to answer that right now, but it's 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 what are you looking for? What are you searching for? What is the reward you're searching for? If the reward is to is to uh, open up doors for other people to potentially improve their own lives, I think that's I think that's that's pretty cool because it shows it's not about you. But if the reward is getting the attention upon you and that hey, I taught this person this thing, then that's more of your ego getting involved, and that's more external validation. There you go. So yep. you got to. I think really we got to look at the basis of the reward we're seeing and then test ourselves. Like, why do I want that reward? Why do I want that reward? Right? Perfect. Um, yeah. And that will help us answer those kind of questions. Cause it can get hard to discreet, to delineate um, those kind of things. Yeah. You're a philosophical right? guy. I had, to, I had to ask him because you think about this stuff. Um, yeah. All right. So the magic question that you know is coming. What 
question did you wish I had asked? And what is your answer? Oh, gosh. Yeah, this is hard. Even when you know it's coming, um, I would say, why have I become so critical of... Um, why have I become so critical of physique? Um, I I see that it... I think physique, there's a place for physique. Um, I think it's very easy to get lost. Again, this goes exactly with my external validation point. That's probably why I brought it up. I think it's very easy to get lost in the physique train in if we oversubscribe to the external validation. And this is why I, I'm very critical of modern bodybuilding <laughs> in terms of the average Joe and the average Jane doing bodybuilding. If you're, if you're competing, if you're making money, that's one thing. But if you're the average Joe or Jane who's showing up a couple times a week and you're doing the bodybuilding, I'm, I'm, I'm critical of that. So that's probably the, that's probably the question that I would, that flows through external validation. That's probably the question that I would have, uh, wish you would have asked. Okay. Yeah. If you could read my mind. Yeah, no, no, no. That's why I ask it. No, that's good. I mean, we have talked about it's, that, uh, the physique side of things. And it's interesting for me because when I, when I talk to people who have goals, you know, true deep goals to change your identity, to be a better role model for their kids, to be healthier, whatever. Along with that always is some level of physique enhancement. Anyway. I want to look better. Yeah. yeah and, exactly. And I think that's okay. The question is, why yeah. are you doing it? Like you said, it's, it's, is it the external validation or is it your own yeah. just, hey, I want to be comfortable when I see that thing, that person in the mirror. You know? yeah. And that's the thing about physique too, which I realized is so much different than strength training. Mm -hmm. Strength training is objective improvement, measurable objective improvement. Well, physique training is based on looking better, which is a belief system. Yes, we believe it's a construct. To look better. It's true. It's a yeah. It's a belief system. So you can ask ten different people. So that's why I'm critical of it because I'm because if someone says oh, I want to look better, and I'm thinking according to what? Because if right, you yeah. get someone's opinion, you could get five opinions today, and someone like me would be like, I don't think that looks great. That could crush somebody. Yes, not intentionally, but because physique. It's a belief system. And I think if people are honest about that and accept that, yeah, it's just, it's a belief. It's very subjective and it changes. I think people, people could be a little bit more calm about the physique rather than thinking that it's this objective, oh, I, I'm going to look better. And it's like, well, you know that not everybody thinks that, right? Yeah. I guess just because I'm, I'm objective based with strength training. It really no, but it, it's a valid up. thing for people to think about because there is, there's stand, there are standards and women face this a lot in society with the, yeah. the, the object, the um, body image standards. And, and there's also the fact that when we're focusing on, focusing on performance and strength, there are lots of periods where you go through where you're not going to have what somebody would call an ideal physique because you don't want to. You want to have the extra fat. You want to have the leverages. You want to be eating because you're building muscle yeah. and you know you're going to live a long time that way and be healthy. Exactly. <laughs> but then it's like, mm -hmm. you know, how do you combine all these things? So, um, kind of keeping, kind of combining physique with health, with strength and finding that sweet spot where it kind of all works mm -hmm. together is, is a nice place to be if you can get there. You know, yeah. I, I get that people, a lot of people are very overweight, right? And we understand that for them, it's yeah. a health issue. Mm -hmm. And of course, they yeah. are going to, I think, even objectively have an improved physical appearance once they lose all the weight. Mm -hmm. But again, it is a mm -hmm. construct. So, yeah. Cool, yeah. Man. yeah. All right. Yeah. A lot of people are underweight too, I think. Oh, yeah. I think that's what that's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No, I mean, I've seen it in the gym a lot. Yeah. And it's like, <sighs> might want to gain a little bit, you know? I, I hear you, man. But, I, I, I hear you when I see when I see the 18-year-old 
boys walking around. I'm like, man, if only yeah. I had a hold of you right now <laughs> in your prime, exactly. you know, get you yeah. put the shovel, mm-hmm. shovel and rice in and start listing. Um, Again, but there's that belief system yeah, 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 yeah. of it looks better. The, mm. the, the surfer do that. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, where do you want listeners to to reach you or what resource do you want them to check out? I'm just, I'm just average Joe. Um, I don't really, uh, I'm not very present on, on social media. I mean, I'm in Andy Baker's group, um, but I don't, I don't coach. I don't, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't think I have much on Instagram. Yep. But, um, I mean, if, if someone wanted to contact me, they could just contact me through my email. Right. But other than that, just average Joe. Okay. You know, how about this? We'll, yeah. we'll put a link to the, the Facebook group, which you're in. So if people want yeah. to come in, they can reach you there. Um, yeah. and we'll put a link to mm-hmm. Andy's club. I don't mind. I love promoting his club. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm in your, I mean, I'm in your group too. Yep. I love, I love, you know, dropping into your group, you know? Yeah. And uh, seeing what's there, it's a lot of fun stuff there. It's pretty cool. It is. It's yeah. it's like it's not a massive group, but it's highly engaged uh, and that and and helpful. You know, we help each other out, which is I constantly say that because I'm not trying to grow into like tens of thousands of people. I'd rather have people that really no. care about being there. But you're not trendy. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not trends. It's not do this one thing and you'll do. It's it's again. It's flexible dieting, which is which is hard to reach people on because people want a product. Give me product. I make change. Yeah. This is not, it's not that. They've, they've got laser fat removal for that. <laughs> laser fat removal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Just, just to put the extreme on it. Okay. So, man, this is a lot of fun. Um, we went down some nice rabbit holes, some philosophy, metaphysics, you know, training, nutrition, yeah. the whole thing. So, thanks for coming on. Oh, it was a lot of fun, man. Thanks. Ben. So, all right. Talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wits and Weights. If you found value in today's episode and know someone else who's looking to level up their wits or weights, please take a moment to share this episode with them. And make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast platform right now to catch the next episode. Until then, stay strong. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best. And these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.